0: Content warning. This episode contains themes of abandonment, a description of sensory overload, depression, anxiety, insecurity, mentions of mild horror-adjacent violence, and displacement from one's home. Dear Diary, I've heard it said that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but I'm not too sure about that. A lot has happened since the last time we recorded a journal entry— And yet I feel weaker than I ever have before. I have not been coping well with these changes. For one, soon I will no longer live in the countryside. I never thought I'd be saying those words, but here I am doing just that. it is very difficult. I've been thinking a lot about the things I'll miss the most. I need to list them out. I'm afraid of forgetting the good parts. I'll miss the days when I lived in the flourishing, abandoned castle on the hills surrounded by impermeable silence and golden afternoons where the wind would rustle the overgrown grasses that rose up, unhindered, at the base of the stone walls. I remembered the ways I spent my time there. How I would lay out a checkered picnic blanket on the soft grass, fill the china teacup with cool water from the brook, and feast upon whatever birds had been unlucky enough to fly into the spider-like traps I'd set up. My days were once spent going on late-night hikes and stargazing, nurturing back to health any injured and vulnerable animals I stumbled across, and trying to teach myself how to communicate with bats. My best friend Parker and I used to sit on the crumbling roof of the castle, just as twilight was approaching, and we'd watch as the gold sky turned to lavender indigo, and tiny droplets of stars made themselves known on the horizon. Parker and I used to spend all our summer evenings together, trying to catch lightning bugs in jars, just so we could watch them, mesmerized by the light that'd give off. The two of us would sit together inside the castle in the winter, drawing portraits of each other on old scraps of canvas with pieces of charcoal we'd found in the garbage. And when it became too cold, we'd huddle by the fireplace together and whisper stories about the places we wanted to go someday. I have not seen Parker in eight months, They went to the city to try and find a job so that both of us could see more of the world together. They were supposed to come back for me. They have not. I hope they are okay. I waited for Parker every day for a long time. I sent letters to the address they'd provided for the hotel they were supposed to be staying at, but all the letters were returned in the mail to me. The postman always looked so horrified as he stumbled up the hill, glancing over his shoulder every few seconds and trembling lightly as he threw those returned letters in the vague direction of my mailbox before scurrying down the hill. He did not know there was much more to be afraid of in the wide-open world than there ever was to be afraid of on my hill. I never received word that Parker was dead, but if they ever sent any communications... I never received them. In their absence, I have been halfway toying with the idea of heading to the city to try and solve the mystery of what happened to them, but I was never able to work up the courage to actually do it. I miss them so terribly, that I have been perpetually frustrated by my inability to do anything about it. After a long while, I was able to repress my sorrow and things continued on with relative quietness in the moments meddled between confusion and loss. Until the events which put my current move into motion. This was the untimely arrival of someone I shelled up, Mikey. I'd been spending my day sneaking around the bat caves that were near my castle. I was pretty sure I'd figured out how to teach the bats a few letters of the alphabet. I'd found some abandoned alphabet building blocks i planned on using and I felt that the bats knowing the ABCs would be immensely helpful in my mission of learning how to talk to them. That was when I heard it. A quiet, trilling sound, almost like some of the birds I heard calling in the deep, distant forest from time to time. But this sound was different. It was much too fast to be the birds. I let myself drop from the ceiling, a little less than graceful in my hurry, I must add, I ended up falling face-first into the stinky soil at the bottom of the back cave, but I quickly brushed this off and snuck, spy-style, towards the edge of the cave to peer out. A small sports car in a shade of crimson even redder than my eyes glided up the dirt road that the postman also used. I watched in horror, unable to move, unsure of what to do next. This had never happened before. Desperately wished Parker were here, as they'd know what to do. But I was alone. A man got out of the car. I had never seen him before, but I recognized his type from a 1980s magazine that I'd once found in a wooden storage box in the castle. This particular specimen was a rich hotshot with an overly waxed mustache, mirrored shades, and, with what my best judgment concluded, was a yacht-themed sweater tied around his neck. He burst from the car, holding what looked like a laundry basket full of dirty clothes, which he promptly dumped onto my doorstep. He then screamed into the abyss of the valley. Good job, Mikey! I am assuming that this terrible creature's name was the Mikey he specified. Hence it became the moniker I assigned to him. While I am indeed rumored to eat people, I have fallen out of the habit of that after my acid reflux worsened and a pamphlet i discovered after it had blown into the grass on my hill explained that one of the best ways to control acid reflux was to avoid eating spicy foods oh like people i had said out loud to no one in particular at the time but i would have downed an entire bottle of antacids to consume this man and hence remove him from mining parker's home i snuck around behind some trees running on my tiptoes to try and get closer I crouched behind his car as he jumped around my doorstep, kicking the laundry around for reasons I still don't understand, and as he continued his funky, strange little dance, it seemed as if he were trying to pat himself on the back. He was failing at doing so, I must note, but he kept trying his hardest either way. It was rather pathetic to watch. I was just stretching my winged limbs towards him to snatch him up, and I noticed that smell... I was left reeling. The abhorrent cologne that wafted from his skin made me feel as though every nerve in my body were exposed and on fire. The lights glared with a tormenting brightness, and the sound of every twig cracking under his irreverent, stomping feet was immeasurably loud. I had no choice but to recoil and fly off into the trees to hide until I had a chance to calm down and quell the sensory overwhelm that overtook me. My anxiety during this time was only worsened by both my uncertainty of what Mikey was doing when I could not keep an eye on him, and by my guilt and shame at not being able to handle dealing with such a problem as this. Parker would have been able to handle it, and the situation only stood as a reminder that no matter how hard I tried, I was never able to be as strong or as brave as I needed to be. I was supposed to be an intimidating symbol of the forest and yet I must have been made wrong to be as weak and as terrified as I was. By the time I felt well enough to be able to return to my castle, it was too late. Too late. Too late. Mikey was gleefully hammering a bright green for sale sign into the mottled, verdant ground next to my home. I staggered behind a tree, clutching my wings around my body and whimpering. It felt like I was falling, but I wasn't. Panic and sadness gripped me, and I was unable to do anything but freeze up behind that tree and cry. Mikey drove off, kicking up a cloud of dust and sending more of that terrible odor my way. My legs gave out, and I collapsed to the ground, trembling and too tired to cry more. The sense of loss, of the one thing left that was mine, was overwhelming. I know I should have done more to stop him, but I did not know what I could have done. Whole courses of action felt too fruitless to bother with. I am not sure whether it was the situation itself that broke me, or whether it was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. I felt apathetic to the idea of trying anything that might fail, only to be reminded of my weakness. So very defeated, in the face of such a challenge which was apparently insurmountable to me. I did not know what to do next. I felt so alone, and the future felt more terrifying and uncertain than it ever had before. I made my mind up right then and there mostly because doing nothing suddenly hurt too much, and I was finally forced to do something. There was no longer any reason for me to continue to stay here, waiting for Parker to return, hoping that this enemy I found myself feeling too helpless to defeat would not go through with his sordid plans. With nothing keeping me here anymore, and the knowledge that Parker's last known excursion had been to the city, I have decided to move there. I leave tomorrow. I'm going to find out what happened to Parker. I'm going to make a new home for myself. I have to. Diary of Mothman is a podcast adapted from the immersive novel of the same name and was written and directed by Ashley Craft and produced by Ashley Craft and Exquisite Lore. Mothman was voiced by Ashley Craft. The music was also by Ashley Craft. You can support this podcast by telling your friends about it, giving us a good rating on the podcast side of your choice, or supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can find the links in our description. Thank you for listening.